0: Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And today we're talking about the final sermon in our sermon series, God With Us, which was our Christmas sermon series, and the final series of 2019. Uh, Beth Stockett is going to be preaching to us, sharing and wrapping up this series as she opened it. Uh, at the beginning of the Christmas season and uh, really talking to us about what it means for God to be with us in the meta narrative, this overarching narrative of scripture. It's a great message. We look forward to you guys hearing it and we'll get together and talk about it after.
1: Yesterday, as I was preparing for the message and praying and thinking, Jeff hits me with this piece of knowledge. He says, did you know that today... Is the last Sunday of this decade. <sighs> I, I, um, thank you. I don't. Okay. No pressure, (laughs) but more than that, I was just thinking about the last decade of all the things that have happened, even for us personally, coming back to Idaho, the birth of our children, all these different things. And I think this time of year, we find ourselves feeling rushed in anticipation of the new year and all the things that are to come. And this morning, as our staff was praying before the services began, Pam Pentecost in her prayer said this. She said, Lord, may we stop and take the deepest breath possible in your presence today. What power in those words, the deepest breath possible, this overwhelming sense that even though the world may be chaos, we can rest in him because he is with us. That is the Christmas season. That is what we have been celebrating. That Christmas is more than just a day. It's 12 days, a period of time set aside to recognize Emmanuel, God with us, that that is his name. It is his name. It is who he is. It is how he feels about us. And over the last six weeks, we've been talking about the grand kind of meta-narrative of scripture We started in the book of Genesis where we talked about Adam and Eve and the fact that God actually created the concept of with. He created us to be with one another. It was not good for man to be alone, so he created woman. God came and walked in the cool of the garden. This community, this fellowship is what we were designed and created for. And not only did God create with God himself is the very definition of with in the perfect triune nature of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how what was designed in the garden was broken when the enemy of our souls said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? He sparked in them a seed of doubt of not trusting God's character and his trustworthiness. And we're going to come back to that here in just a little bit. And from that point, when Eve took of the fruit, we had this introduction of sin, this introduction of shame, and this breaking of the withness that was in the garden. For Adam and Eve, in their shame and in their embarrassment, pulled away from God and we talked about what sin does to us it causes us to feel shame to feel isolation that it is us that hides that God in his sovereignty God who is the same yesterday today and forever does not move he doesn't pull away from us and say ew yuck he is there and he comes to us and all throughout scripture, we have talked about the stories of God showing up when really given our own decision in the garden, he didn't have to, but he came and he met his people. We talked about the story of Jacob and that God, even though Jacob was headed out of the promised land into exile, God's threefold promise became fourfold when he promised to be with Jacob. We talked about God being with the least, the last, and the lost of these in the story of Tamar and Ruth and Rahab. We talked about God with us even when we make horrible mistakes, like the story of David and Bathsheba. And God even with us as doubt moves to willingness in the story of Joseph. And in Mary, all along, we see God give us a promise of his presence to restore what was broken, to make us whole. The very first encounter that we have that God promises this to us is all the way back in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve made that choice. Genesis 3.15, as scholars call the Proto-Evangelium, the first good news of the Gospel, when the man will strike the serpent's heel. That's what we've been talking about, this powerful theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. And as I look back, it's very interesting to me because something ties these stories together. It has become very apparent that it is not possible to separate God's desire to be with us for God's deep love and affection for us. They go hand in hand. God loves us, so he came to be with us. God's withness expresses unbelievable amounts of deep affection. Here at Crossroads, when a baby is dedicated, the family will be given this Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, it's, it's not literal scripture, but it's the stories of scripture told in kid format so that they can know and acquaint themselves with the stories of the word. And it's a, it's a powerful book. And the reason why I like it, and you can see we use it often in our house, is that all throughout the book, runs this theme, someone did love with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Someone did love with a never-ending, unbreaking, always and forever love. When we encounter that phrase through this, we are hearing and reading about the coming of Jesus. That God, Emmanuel, came to be with us because of his deep love and affection for us. I have even, over my years of working with teenagers, when I've gotten the, the opportunity to pray with a student to accept Christ, I've given them a copy of this. And I tell them, it's not because you're not smart enough to read the Bible. I tell them because that phrase, that never giving up, unending, always and forever type of love is something that teenagers need to hear because this world that we live in is based on our performance. It's based on our ability to earn love and affection. And they need to know that, that God's love and his promise is based on his character, not on theirs. And that's the message that we need to hear. That God's promise, his love and affection for us is based on his character, not on ours. There is nothing that we can do that will cause him to love us less. We can run as far as we want. It does not change the way he feels about us. And this is not just me wishing this to be true, (laughs) of God looking at me and saying, all right, Beth, you messed up again, I will come and handle it one more time. No, he actually wants to be with me where I am. In fact, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, says that very thing. In John chapter 17, we read what is called the upper room discourse. It is a series of chapters right before Jesus is arrested, tried, and then crucified. He's talking to his disciples, and at the end he prays this prayer. He prays it for himself, he prays it for his disciples. And John 17:20 says he prays it for all who believe his word that's you and that's me he says i am in them and you are in me may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as such as you love me Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with, meta, that same word that we have been unpacking through this series, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. This prayer is deeply personal and it's incredibly inclusional. B. Milne says this about this prayer. He says, one of the greatest passages of inclusion in all of scripture. Like a mountaineer gazing out from an eminence across the expanding vista as range succeeds range into the distant horizon. So Jesus gazes out across the rolling centuries. He beholds and embraces the harvest of the ages, the church of the Redeemer gathered from every nation, people, language, and tribe. And that includes us. In all of these stories that we have talked about, they're more than just stories. For they are glimpses of us. Times when we have felt like the least and the last and the lost. Times when we have felt like it wasn't possible for us to screw up any more than we have. Times when we have felt like we could take control and God has showed up over and over and over again. His love and affection and withness extends to us as well. I asked Jeff permission to tell this story because it's his family, but I had the incredible opportunity of meeting Jeff's grandparents. I didn't get to know them for very long. They passed away shortly into our first year of marriage, but the way they passed away was so interesting because Hal and Ruth, and Ruth is our, our daughter Sophie, her middle name is Ruth after them. They were incredible, influential people even in my life. And even though Hal was sick, Ruth took a turn for the worse, and she passed away. And what was so interesting is that Hal, just a matter of days later, faded away and passed away. It was almost as if he couldn't bear to be without her. And so he died. And it reminded me of a song, of a song that came out when, when Jeff and I were in college and I told him that I was going to share this with you. And he goes, that's kind of cheesy. Well, welcome to cheesy. Cheesy because I want to share it with you, because it reminded me of this song that came out when a lot of people in our age range were getting married by Ben Folds Five, and one of the verses says this. It says, I love you more than I have ever found the way to say to you. Next door, there's an old man who lived to his 90s and one day passed away in his sleep. His wife, she stayed for a couple of days and passed away. I'm sorry, I know that's a strange way to tell you that I know that we belong. I am the luckiest. And it struck me that humans, if we, in our finite nature, can understand the depth of this type of loss, that we can just simply lose the will to live when someone who has been so dear to us has passed away. If us, our humanness can understand that level of sorrow and grief, I can't help but wonder our Jesus, our God, our savior, our king, our sovereign Lord who created everything, the amount of grief and suffering that he went through when we chose to be without him. All of these stories have talked about God coming to meet us and how humans have dealt with that. But I think it's important that we stop and understand that even if we are single, married, divorced, young, old, that we have someone who loves us so much that he couldn't bear to be without us and so he died that we might live god's incredible witness is an expression of his deep love and affection for you and for me and Jesus goes on in chapter 17, he says, and then they can see all the glory. I want them to be with me where I am. We read all these stories about God coming to us and now he's saying, I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me because when I come down into humanity, there's still pain and hurt and sorrow and suffering. When they come and to be with me, there will be no more sin and no more sorrow and no more suffering. Then they will see, that word see is fascinating because it is to observe something with sustained attention, with physical eyes. I want them to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory. God's glory is his sovereignty, his majesty, his love. It's also his presence with us. When he comes again, in all of his glory, we will behold him face to face. And as we live in this season of Advent, waiting for him to come again, we can trust that he is still with us and we can hold on to the truth that someday we will see him face to face and he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. That is the promise above any other promise With is an expression of God's deep love and affection. With is also the reality of eternity. For in the book of Revelation, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And that's where you say amen. Amen. Wow. I have often as I have read these verses fixated on that last part. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, for that's the tangible real that we live in most days where there's lots of grief and sorrow. And I can't wait to be saved from that. And that's what John refers to when he talks about the sea. Is he saying there's going to be no more water when we get to spend eternity with God? No, because the book of Revelation also talks about the river that runs through the city. What he is referring to is what is is associated with the sea for first century people, and that is chaos and destruction and grief. It will be gone. But here's the most interesting part about this. That, That right there, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. That is absolutely true and absolutely wonderful. But do you know in elementary school when you learn the idea of cause and effect... That is an effect. Why will we have no more pain and sorrow and suffering and tears? Because his almighty presence is with us forever and always. That is the beauty of that passage. That is the restoration of what we lost in the garden. And you know the amazing thing about that whole thing? The Bible project says... It's not a return to Eden. It is a step forward. We're not just going back to the garden. He doesn't just create things exactly what they, as they were. He actually creates something new and better. He goes on in verse five to say, and the one sitting on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Do you remember I said, what was the, the thing? that Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And he caused them to question his trustworthiness. And here God is saying, you know those promises that I've been making throughout all of time and history? I am trustworthy and I am true and I am making it new and I am creating a place where there will be no tree that you can pull down. I am creating a place where you will get to be with me forever and always It's better. Praise the Lord that God knows us enough to know what we need. And that promise is a promise for the present. The already not yet of the kingdom. That God came to be with us and he will come again. So my question is, what do we do in the meantime, Beth, all this is great. A beautiful unpacking of the meta narrative of Scripture and God's desire to be with us. But I still have to go to work tomorrow, and work is really hard. So, what do I do? What do I do in the meantime? This whole series started with a picture a picture that God gave during our time in sabbatical. This summer, when we went up to Canada and got a time to spend on this beautiful property, when we got there and we saw this lake with the mountains and the trees and the reflection of the mountain and the waters and the dock, and there on the dock was one single red chair. And it was so striking and so vivid, I wanted nothing more than to go and sit in that chair to escape from life's problems and struggles, to just say, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna live right here. On my own, alone, with just my thoughts in the sky. And the next day, we walked back out to that dock and out of nowhere, there was a second red chair as if God was saying, you understand that I'm with you, right? Even when you can't see me even when it feels like you are utterly and completely alone. You wanna get away, you wanna hide, you wanna grieve, let me grieve with you, let me be right there. And that God with us image set the stage for the entire series, but that's not the end of the story. What do we do in the meantime? The story continues but the Lord was doing a work in me to say, you understand that you can't live here, right? These mountains, although they are beautiful, and I, Pastor Anna and I were talking about this before the service, that Jesus himself often escaped to the mountains, which should warm the heart of us Idahoans, but he also didn't live in the mountains. You understand that we have to go back You understand that I love them too. That I am with them. And that they need the message of hope and of salvation. They need my presence and I want you to be a part of it. You have to go back down off the mountain and you have to take me with you. And you have to enter back into life. Don't write off the church or faith, or a broken relationship, or dashed dreams is hopeless and beyond all cause. Take me with you as you enter back into life. For that is what he told the disciples on the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you as you go always to the very end of the age. The age when he comes again we are to go and we are to pick up our sword and continue to fight because there is a message of hope that the world needs to hear the world needs to hear about Jesus Emmanuel God with us and we will know when there are times to lay down our swords and run to the mountains but we can't live there we have a job to do as part of his kingdom story the other fascinating thing about this particular passage, and Pastor Jim has talked about this, this Great Commission was given on Mount Arbel. It's a flat mountaintop as you look down into the valley over to the Sea of Galilee. That, that Jack Beck also makes the, and a very good educated guess that the Sermon on the Mount and the Great Commission were given in the same location. And as Jesus stood there on the edge of the mountain and as he looked down into the valley below and saw everyday people like you and like me gutting out life, trying to figure out how to live and and be successful and thrive, and Jesus says, go. It's not some metaphysical. It's go. They need you. And Jack goes on to say this. Members of the Lord's kingdom are rich, even though they feel poor. They will find comfort beyond their grief. They will inherit the earth, even if they feel trodden down into it. As Jesus taught this lesson from the summit, he did not ask the disciples to imagine people like that. From the viewing platform of Mount Arbel, he invited the disciples to observe the lives of the people below. People who did not feel blessed. From this high perch, Jesus told the disciples to think of these people as his father saw them, blessed in every way, despite the circumstances that proved otherwise. Friends, we are blessed in every way, despite the circumstances that may prove otherwise. Despite this broken world that we live in, we are blessed because we have his presence with us. We have his deep love and affection for us. We have a God whose love is based on him and not on us. We are blessed even though the world writes us off. We are his children and we have a home and we belong. So what do we do in the meantime? We take him with us into the simple every day, getting up in the morning, Trying to get our kids out the door, to work, to coffee with friends. We also learn that withness is something that God asks us to be for one another. God's prayer may they have perfect unity. That we actually get a chance to be. God's presence and love through his indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives for those who are hurting and broken, those who want to escape the mountain, who who are saying, I can't do this anymore. Life is too hard. Where is God? And we can come alongside them, put our arms around them and say, I am with you. Let's walk this together. Let's give one another the benefit of the doubt. Let's believe the good in one another. Let's steward well the God image that's in each and every one of us. This witness is something that we get to give in love to others. What do we do in the meantime? We share his message of hope by our very presence in people's lives. We also, in the meantime, we purposefully stop. And remember, Deuteronomy 6, when the Israelites were just starting off, God gives them the Shema, the love, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He is asking God's people to remember him. To talk about him God asks the same of us. We can remember him. That's this entire series. What we have done over the last six weeks is simply stopping and remembering the reality and the truth that his withness is based on his love and affection, that his withness is the reality of eternity, that his witness is a promise of the present that sustains us in this Advent season.
0: Really a great message from Beth. I thought it was really cool that she got to open and close the series. Uh, if you listen to her message, you, you got to hear her talk about the, the picture, the visual that you can see on our website if you go to our digital bulletin. Uh, it's really the the picture that we've used for the graphics all throughout this series, which is a beautiful shot of uh, this lake and a dock going out into the lake and mountains in the background. And on this dock, there are two red Adirondack chairs. And if you don't know what Adirondack chairs are, because like me, you're a caveman. Uh, you'll have to look at the picture, but, uh, really a beautiful picture that inspired this whole series with us. And so I'm so glad she got to open and close us in the series. And she really talks about that, this idea of meta, which means with, among, and the company of, but it's a term that we use to describe the overarching, the meta narrative instead of the micro narrative, the little stories, the meta narrative of scripture that God has been with his people from Adam and Eve through the patriarchs. Uh, abraham isaac and jacob through the lineage of jesus that that jim shared with us on and and even now down to mary and joseph and now to us that god is with us that that was so cool that she anchored that in there and and then she talked about how with is an expression of christ's love for us with is a reality of eternity that someday he will be with us and uh, with is a promise for now I thought that was really, really cool, really beautiful how she how she shared that. And so this whole um, series has really just been incredible, talking about God being with us. And so thank you for joining us for this series. Um, and uh, these podcasts will be getting a little bit longer again. I'm going to be having uh, Scott come and join me in the next couple of weeks again as we get back into the year and people start getting back in the office. We're going to get some more Interesting people in here to talk about their messages. Really looking forward to next week. We're going to have Dr. Jack Beck come and speak to us. We can't have him on the podcast, unfortunately, for time, but um, really excited to hear what he has to say. And so as you're listening today, um, possibly in the new year, as we're releasing this after the beginning of the year, uh, we're excited for another year of listening to the amazing teaching here at Crossroads and getting together and talking about Scripture and learning together. So look forward to seeing you soon.